Hey folks, this is Allison with a quick note before we get started. This is the first of what will be an ongoing series of special graphic novelty key episodes that are outside of the main quote-unquote continuity of the process of making a book, which we're going to be calling Back Matter. It's going to be a mix of live episodes, interviews to go into more depth about something we've already discussed, or anything else that we thought was worth sharing with all of you but doesn't quite fit into our original plan for the show. This episode is our very first live episode, which we recorded at TCAF this past May. We interviewed Sarah Searle on stage as part of TCAF's Word Balloon Academy programming. It was a really fun conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hello, everyone! The Toronto Comics Arts Festival would like to acknowledge that the land on which we gather is a traditional territory of the Ashinaabe, Mississaugas, of the New Credit First Nation, the Haudenosaunee, and the Huron-Wendat, that is the indigenous peoples that have lived on and cared for this land for more than 15,000 years. This territory is covered by the Dish With One Spoon Wampum Belt Treaty. Today, Toronto is still the home to many indigenous people from across Turtle Island. We acknowledge that settlers on the land directly benefit from the process of colonization. In recognition of our gathering on these lands for TCAF 2019, the festival has made a donation to the Gord Downey and Chani Wenjack Fund. We look forward to increasing our support and programs for Indigenous creators in years to come. Programming at TCAF 2019 is sponsored by Seneca College's Faculty of Communication, Art and Design. TCAF would also like to thank our presenting sponsors, The Big Island, Little Island Comics, and the Toronto Public Library. Thanks to our media sponsor, Now Magazine, we also recognize the support of the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. And now, I leave it to Alison, Gina, and Sarah, who will tell you about the trek to long form. Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Alison Wilgus, and it's very weird to be doing this full room full of people. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you don't know Graphic Novel TK, Allison and I do a every other week podcast that's about the graphic novel publishing process. And it consists of long form, about hour long interviews with different publishing industry professionals who do different things in publishing. Uh, so we're super excited today to be talking to Sarah Winifred Searle about going from short form to long form and how those two things are different. Sarah, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Yeah, so I'm Sarah. Uh, I come from Maine. And I've lived in Boston a bit, and these days I actually live in Perth, Australia. Um, but I've been making comics for a very long time. And uh, like I started self-publishing when I was in high school, which was feels like a century ago. Uh, and I just haven't stopped. And I've contributed to all sorts of anthologies like Smut Peddler and The Secret Lives of Geek Girls and Gem and the Holograms, and the Nib, and stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm extremely jet-lagged right now, so I really appreciate your patience. Hey, you me. got in yesterday, right? 
Yeah, last most, night. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long trip for you. It, yeah, it took a while. So what, what's the, your most recent project? Yeah, so I'm actually debuting a book this weekend. Um, Yay, that's yeah. exciting. It's called... <laughs> Thank you. It's called Sincerely Harriet, and it's a middle-grade graphic novel, um, and it's just kind of like a quiet story about all sorts of things, like this kid's trying to learn how to manage chronic illness, and she kind of finds an outlet in stories, but it takes her a while to figure out how to use that outlet effectively, I guess is a good way of describing it. And how did you get into comics originally? So... I always loved to write and draw, and for a long time it felt like I had to do either or, but when I was maybe like 11, my stepdad at the time, he had this big box of comics that he had collected when he was younger, and I wasn't super interested in the actual stories, but I really enjoyed the format, so I read a lot of them, especially the Conan Barbarian ones, because they were very scandalous. <laughs> uh, and then, pretty soon after that, Sailor Moon happened to North America, and the comics became available at places like Newbury Comics, where like my parents didn't take me to the comic shop, but because there were places like Newbury Comics, even though it's called comics. like Which is know. basically a record store that has some comics in it. For yeah. those of you who aren't from the Boston area. Yeah, so like we would go there because my mom would want to pick up a secondhand CD or something and I would find, they actually had like the floppy issues of Sailor Moon and they were all completely like disparate numbers. So like I had like number four and number like 23 and I would just read them over and over again until they were falling apart. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, I could do this. I can't do a Conan the Barbarian, but I could do a Sailor Moon, maybe. <laughs> and I haven't done either of those things yet, but yeah. I have seen some really good Sailor Moon fan art from you, though, so. Oh, thank you. Okay, so today we're talking specifically about going from short form to long form, going from one to the other, back and forth, how the two are different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, working in... Short mini comics, anthologies, web comics. Your most recent book is a graphic novel. How are all of those things different? Um, so, like, generally, the approach I take in just kind of creatively speaking is even when I make a short story, they all feel like they're part of a much bigger story. Yeah, so for example, it's easier. Like, I think the short-form stuff was good training for, for example, the book I'm working on now that I've finished, Sincerely Harriet, is called The Greatest Thing, and it's a mem- like a fictionalized memoir that I'm doing for first second, and it's about an experience that I had in high school, and um, I've done a lot of short-form memoir comics, um, and being able, like, figuring out what my voice is and these little kind of bite-sized vignettes of the big picture has been really helpful in kind of like honing my skills and trying new things. And now I feel ready to tackle like a 300-something page behemoth that is just like me barfing up all of my feelings in this thing. But I'm like, but I've trained for this. Like my nib comics are like a Rocky training montage. (laughs) And I've finally gotten to the point where I'm ready. 
And, so. and before you did like your comics for the nib, I mean, you've been doing comics for a long time. Did you feel like when you were starting out, you were sort of experimenting and trying a bunch of sort of things? And sort of, I feel like sh short comics are great because they're very low commitment. Like, there's only so much time it's going to take you to draw an eight-page comic in theory. So, like, early on, were you trying a bunch of different things, or do you feel like you found your voice very quickly? Um, well, I'm not sure. Hmm. I drew a lot of comic pages, but I was very bad at finishing stories until I actually took on like a 100 page graphic novel, or what do you call it? Like a novelette or something. I don't know. I guess. Uh, oh my God, did you go right? Did you rock it right from maybe I'll draw a comic someday to your 100 page book? Uh, no, like when I was in <laughs> high school. Because people do that. Was... They do, and I think it's amazing when people can do that. But like, so when I was in high school, I would do like these zine things where the stories were actually quite short, like up to something. I think the longest one was 10 or 12 pages, not very long. Um, so I definitely drew a lot of short ones, but then I kind of got into this limbo that I think happens to a lot of people where you have a lot of ideas but a lot of them are bigger than what you can handle at the moment so you like start drawing the first chapter of this book and then you redraw the first chapter and then you redraw it again and you go through this for like two years and eventually you just have to make the thing or you're not going to make the thing and you do something else and like doing short comics definitely helped like I could experiment in that way and find my style and stuff, but then it was when I got to the 100 page comic that things got real. And it was like, oh, like I have to stick with the same style for this long, so I have to learn how to be consistent finally, which was the hardest part probably. Um, so, yeah. And it's interesting that you put the difference between short form and long form as kind of like thinking about that, that first chapter. Do you think that that you think differently about short form work? Like, is do you think differently about making the plots or developing the characters, or uh, if there's like a theme, constructing the theme for something that might be eight or twenty pages differently than your three hundred page book? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think each form has its own challenges, but. Something that's really hard about short comics is it's actually really hard to come up with a story that has a clear beginning, middle, and end in the space of like five pages. Sometimes anthologies even want like one or two or three pages and they're like, we want a story. And it's like, I can't do that. But eventually you get used to it and then you end up in this groove where all you can come up with is that long of stories. And then someone's like, I want a graphic novel pitch. And you're like, well... <laughs> but, uh, That's longer than three pages. <laughs> yeah. But, like, for example, with the memoir stuff, uh, like, I've explored little pieces of the types of experiences that I'm going to cover in the graphic novel in my stuff that I've done for the nib. Like, for example, um, I made a comic called The Price of Acceptance, um, and it's about the pressures to take a weight loss drug and uh, how kind of society keeps trying to reason with me, like maybe addiction is better than looking the way that you look and stuff like that. And like taking just that one piece of the story and finding a way to use that to tell a really concise 
small story has been really helpful and then like now I'm exploring like the stuff that I grew up with that kind of led to that sort of mindset in my brain and then like I can finally like breathe but there's definitely some very specific like skills that go into like turning it into a shorter piece. So this is interesting because when you're doing memoir for instance, like your short nib pieces, like the character is you, right? And in theory, uh, especially for something short, like it's not that hard to get somebody on board for reading a short work of nonfiction about yourself. Whereas like with fiction, like a huge challenge of course is somebody sitting down is like, why do I care about these assholes? Like it, you, you have to convince people to keep turning the page and be invested in these characters. And obviously in short form, you're kind of, there's this pressure to sort of get people on board for caring about this very quickly, but also the commitment is very low. Whereas for a long book, you in theory have more space, but also they're flipping through it and trying to decide if they're gonna buy this $20 book or something. Like, do you approach building and introducing characters in your work differently for different lengths of stories? Or do you feel like you should always be trying to get people on board for your characters as quickly as possible regardless? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, I definitely say like I am approaching the whole memoir thing very differently in the long book that I'm working on. Um, it's a fictionalized memoir on purpose because I can both I want to protect the privacy of the people I'm talking about who are in my life at that point because they didn't sign up for me sharing all of their deep dark teenage angst like with the rest of the world. So I want to protect them but also it's so much easier to write about people I know and myself as characters that are separated by some degree from me. Um, and I guess like with the short comics, I really rely on the relatability of it. Like, um, like, okay, they might not care about me, but they might relate to something in my situation. So I make sure I like put it out there, like this is the situation, maybe this resonates with you, maybe you wanna keep reading. What about your, your works? style and kind of your work process like when you're like I'm writing something for the nib it's eight pages long I'm doing something for this anthology it's three pages long how do you kind of like sit down and plan to do that differently from your 300 page graphic novel <laughs> I mean definitely one is going to take more time than the other presumably the 300 graph page graphic novel is the one that will take the most time um I'm a really hardcore, like not everyone works this way and that's totally fair, but I'm a very hardcore planner and I need, I pretty much like pe people are like, okay, we want you in this anthology, please pitch us a story about this character or something. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. And I come up with the idea and it's kind of similar to pitching a graphic novel idea where you just kind of you're like this is my vision and someone will either be like cool or they'll be like eh. and from there I generally write a really super detailed rambly outline of and it doesn't matter how long it's going to be I just want to know what I want to put into that story and a lot of people are able to riff that way in thumbnails or something but I just can't do that I need to just kind of barf up all of my thoughts in one spot first um, but then from there, short stuff, it turns into, okay, I have these ideas, but maybe I'm trying to talk about too much in a very small space. So I try to figure out what the actual core 
idea is and make sure that it has a clear beginning, middle, and end, and then trim out like pretty much everything else. Whereas with a graphic novel, I go into it like, okay, here are a few core ideas. How can I make sure that they actually work together into a cohesive story and have like, so that you have both interesting side plots, but they aren't too extraneous to the general story. And it's, yeah, that's where it starts to different, differentiate from and can we be oh. really nerdy and just ask about like your scheduling yes, process? Please tell us your like, scheduling are you process. like, do you have like a giant wall calendar? Because well, like Carrie you... Peach has a spreadsheet she puts all this stuff into. So, yeah. Sarah, yeah. what is your scheduling? So, um, I actually think I ended up stealing this from you at some point, uh, but in like the the Apple Notes app because I can access it like everywhere on all of my stuff. So. I make so many lists. I oh, make to-do lists yep. for everything. And then what I do is I have the big picture to-do lists, which are like the entire like year-long calendar things. So it's like, okay, I know that this is gonna be due this month, this is gonna be due this month. I get paid this month, that's exciting. And then something else is due the next month. Um, and then I take those and I make a monthly to-do list with all the little check boxes and that breaks down the tasks like, okay, if I want to finish inking by say October, I have what, five months to do it. How many pages do I need to ink a day in order to meet that? And I make sure I put it in there and I even will break it. I try to break it down as small and achievable feeling as possible within this like I might even make another like if it's too like if it's just overwhelming as a monthly to-do list I turn it into a weekly or even a daily to-do list so I'm like all right I know I have to ink 12 pages this week and that stresses me out so I'm going to break this down into every day this week I'm going to ink two pages and if I mess up one day, that gives me a buffer day. And then I feel like I can actually do it. And then I get to check it off a lot faster. And that's very gratifying to me. Um, so yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the secret to long form comics in general, is to think as little as possible about the book and as much as possible about this week. What am I doing yeah. this week? What am I doing this month? and just turn off the part of your brain that's aware of the fact that you've told somebody else you're gonna draw a 300 page comic. <laughs> like, whatever, it's fine, it's fine. I only have to draw 14 pages this week. That's all that matters. Yeah, and like I also invest in very cute sticky notes and I put the big deadlines on the sticky notes and I draw little cute pictures on them and I use shiny metallic pens and I stick them up on the wall around my desk and then I can check the big things off. And that, like, it feels amazing to take one down. Like, I had to take down the one for Sincerely Harriet recently because I had finished, like, the last of the promo artwork, and it was, like, cleansing my soul of something. It was like, I've done it. And then, yeah. yeah. It's and in the so meantime, nice. it's a super attractive sticky note with adorable yeah. art on it. it so how cute. stressful can it actually be? Yeah. So this is sort of like a process thing, which is mostly, you know, your sphere, how you're developing and working on books. Obviously, a lot of the things you're doing, you're doing for other people, whether they're something like The Nib or Publisher. Um, so what was the transition like between when you were doing shorter things for Kickstarter anthologies or like online venues versus doing these books for publishers? Like, how has that part of your process changed, the sort of dealing with other people part? Um. 
hmm. Because I know the time scale freaks a lot of people out, for one thing. We're like, wait, mm. this book isn't going to come out for a year? Like that kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think something with the, the big book stuff is I do like, I can't, often I can't just start part of the process when I feel motivated to do it. I have to wait for other stuff to pan out first. Or maybe my editor um, needs six weeks to do notes. Um, which is like a totally normal thing, but I'm used, because of starting with the shorter stuff, I'm used to just being able to make the thing, and a lot of the time with the shorter stories, they just kind of trust you to do your thing. There generally isn't much editorial input, and like, I definitely think that I've grown a lot with editorial input, so I'm definitely not saying that it's not worth the longer, the longer uh, production time, but it is very, very different. For yeah. sure. And definitely it must be super different on the publishing end of things to give notes on, for example, at the nib, like eight pages of, of an outline versus three hundred pages of an outline. Like like the granularity is very different. Like when yeah. I did a comic for the nib, I got a lot I got as many com- notes on that like twenty five panel comic as I have gotten on entire books of mine. <laughs> Uh, in, in other contexts, just because it's a much more, preci- like you were saying, like short comics are such a precision instrument. They're like the watches of comics. Like every part yeah. has to be doing something. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it, actually. Yeah. yeah. So have the, have the contracts and the publishing experience and the like attention that you get for, how is that different for the short form and the long form? Um, the short term stuff I was able to manage on my own pretty well. Um, I like I can handle a small amount of legalese, so if it's like a two-page contract, it's generally fine, and I can keep track of them okay. But I, I knew as soon as I started d- developing the long book stuff and getting offers, I was like, I'm going to need an agent. I cannot handle any of this. Uh, so I actually got my agent... I think on the the email that I wrote to her, I, in all caps, I was like, help, have offers, need help, exclamation points. And I don't know if that was the professional thing to do, but I really needed help. So. I mean, it worked out, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And like, I there are people who don't need an agent, and that's totally fair. Like, some people just, they're all game for handling all that stuff on their own, but when it came to just like the comp- the contracts are completely different and I just couldn't wrap my yeah. head around it so and also to be clear the length I mean how long is it gra- I'm trying to remember graphic novel contracts are like more than 20 pages long aren't they I don't mean Gina would know yeah I mean it, it depends on the publisher yeah. and on the negotiation points that the author and the agent want to put in but yeah it could be 20 or 30 pages also fun fact um if you listen to our contracts episode with Katie Lane of Graphic Novel TK, you might already know this. Um, so when they're negotiating the contract, a lot of the time, even if something gets taken out, they'll leave it in the contract as like a, this has been talked about, we've decided not to do it, so they'll just have like the strike-through font. So sometimes you'll have this giant stack of paper and like half of it is actually stuff that isn't in the contract anymore and is just struck through, which is a very surreal thing to flip through. You're like, okay, I mean... I guess thanks for getting rid of this thing that I don't entirely understand, agent. Uh, this is why I hired you, I guess. Anyway. Uh, so uh, does your agent today 
work on like anthology work and nib comics and stuff like that or does she just do your graphic novel deals um i handle anything that's with a smaller publisher um on my own or if it's like a just like a cover for a licensed series or something i handle those on my own because also it's like it's a balance of like okay do i need her help and also is this small enough that like asking for her help would actually just slow things down and waste people's time um so she takes care of bigger things and i also bring her in for example if i'm going to work with the like for example with my work with idw i pulled her in right away just because it was a new company and i know that they're a fairly big comics publisher so they probably she actually probably already had an idea of how things worked there a little bit and it just kind of helps with the transition of starting to work with them um but if it's something like an anthology that's going to go on kickstarter or someone wants an illustration for their blog or something then i just handle it on my own my understanding is a lot of the time most agents they're like if you think you can handle it on your own and everything's going fine great if you have a problem please ask me about it because i might have to deal with the consequences of this problem later anyway <laughs> yeah. and i'd rather answer a quick email now than have to fish you out of a bad contract in six months yeah and it can actually get hard like it took me a while to feel comfortable asking what i was i was worried that i was going to ask all these silly questions but every time i've had what i felt was a silly question she's actually had some really amazing feedback and stuff so <sighs> so we were, also i mean so you you have a pretty big audience at this point a lot of people who follow your comics i i'm am amazed that you would call it a big following i'm like oh I mention yeah, your name to other people, and they're like, oh, so, so, so wonderful. I'm actually not kidding. Um, so uh, do you feel like, so some people, at least some people either online or at cons, uh, are t- talking to you about your work. Do you feel like the kinds of feedback uh, and the kinds of conversations you've had with people have been different as you've sort of been moving into longer format stuff? I mean, I know Sincerely Harriet hasn't come out yet, but I feel like you've had some long form web comics and other things, you've sort of been moving toward this for a while. Uh, and also, honestly, Sincerely Harriet's been out as an arc for a while, so I'm sure some people have already started talking to you about it. Um, it's out right now, right? It just came out, yeah. Yeah, you can get it this weekend. Um, there's definitely, hmm. I think something that's tricky with, like, I'm so happy that I was able to start, really, like, jumpstart my career by doing a bunch of smaller anthologies and zines and also, like, the kickstarted stuff. But there's also, like, a huge oversaturation of, like, for example, kickstarted anthologies. And, like, it's amazing that that's there as an option for small publishers now. Uh, but a lot of press and stuff just can't cover them. They've just completely stopped unless it's like a complete blockbuster thing or a famous author or something. They just don't touch them. Um, But now I'm like, oh, like you're a comics journalist person and now I have a thing I can actually pester you about because it's my thing that I did with like a trade book published. And I'm like, oh, I can actually help you with this. And I'm like, cool. I think someone has actually responded that way to one of my emails, just like, yes, you're doing something and I can cover this for you, finally. And it's like, thank you. So that's cool. Yeah, and are there, are there different sort of media outlets or audiences like librarians or booksellers that you feel like you're interacting with 
in a different way with your short form and your long form work? Yeah, definitely. Like, Sincerely Harriet is being heavily marketed toward librarians and school, like, school folks who will, like, have the, they know what middle grade and YA people want to read and they can get it on those shelves. So, like, for example, reading the, uh, what's it called, NetGalley reviews. Yep. Um, or Goodreads, depending on yeah, which publication Goodreads, you're talking yeah. about. Don't read your own Goodreads reviews. <laughs> I stopped after a while, but it was amazing seeing like all the people who were in there, and they weren't actually reviewing the book for readers. They were reviewing it for other librarians, and I found that fascinating, and like the different ways that they talk about books is really interesting, and it helped me reframe my projects. Like, okay, this is how people are going to be talking about my next books. How do I kind of preemptively like think about how I would change the way I talk about the book even and promote it on social media so that those people can even just find it by using the right keywords and stuff like that. Yeah, and for people who don't know, NetGalley is an online digital galley service that is used exclusively by industry professionals. So publishers upload galleys and then people who are booksellers or teachers or librarians or media can uh, create accounts and then request the galleys from publishers. And publishers are like, ah, yes, we would like the people at this media publication to be talking about this book. Like Librarians who are part of the American Library Association can all read this book. Booksellers who are part of the American Bookselling Association can all read this book. Um, but it is exclusively industry-facing. Uh, so it's kind of one of those interesting things that will happen when you have a book like Sincerely Harriet, which is a graphic novel with a larger publisher, but when you have, a, have books that are kickstarted, there's kind of like no access through that, that t website and that tool at all. Um, which do you like better? Yeah, I mean, you're a person. In your heart, in your person heart, do you derive more joy from one of these forms or the other, or do they both contain different joys? Uh, the last one, definitely. Like, I don't think I, well, if I had to pick, it would be the long ones, because they actually pay enough to live off of. But, uh... I mean, that's important, too. Maybe we should just take a, a little bit of a sidebar to talk about money. Yeah. You'll finish, you, finish yeah. answering this okay. first, well, and then we'll talk um, about the months. <laughs> um, I think they're, I feel very strongly about having both going on in my schedule at once. Um, it does make me a little bit slower with the big projects, but at the same time, I just, in my soul, like my heart can't handle just working on the same exact thing every day. I need something to break it up. And I also need opportunities to, for example, um, Sparks, which is a book that I'm wrapping up this year and will come out next year. Um, it is a huge book that I started drawing back in 2015. So at this point, I've I just finished drawing the last chapter. And so there's like a four-year gap there where like I grew a lot as an artist over those years so like I ended up in this situation where I wanted to try new ways of drawing these characters or I wanted to try new, 
try new tools and I felt like I couldn't because I needed the final product to at least like, okay, my style is gonna evolve whether I want it to or not. I need the art to feel cohesive in some way. So having other stuff going on, like having all of the short comics, I could say, um, finally try a new software or if I wanted to try a new lettering font or anything, I finally had a way to do that. And also I think the shorter comics allow me to work with different people, which is cool. I like collaborating on them and it kind of keeps me on my toes and helps me develop different kinds of skills that I wouldn't have thought to push myself on. Um, and it also helps me work with different editors and different publishers and get a broader experience of publishing. It's a really good way to build professional relationships, short yeah. form stuff. Like it's kind of you're trying each other on for size yeah. in a way sometimes. Yeah. But yes, the Muns. Yeah. Um, and I mean, oh, you no, don't have to na name numbers for us, but I'm I'm wondering like if you're doing a comic, an online comic that's 10 pages long or a Kickstarter anthology comic that's 10 pages long, the money for that versus a 200 page graphic novel, you know, is it just, you know, this is 10 pages, if I multiply the amount I get for this times 20, I think that, yes, I think that should be right. Will it equal the graphic novel advance in royalties? Like, or are you kind of like, I'm going to do this because it's creatively fulfilling and stretching me and my real money is coming from graphic novels or, uh, single co cover illustrations or something else? Yeah. Um, it's a bit trickier than just kind of trying to do the math for the page rates and stuff. So um, the graphic novels, they've kind of become my main projects. Um, but with the shorter ones, for example, uh, some of the Kickstarted anthology comics I've done have paid like $20 a page. And I did them because I was new at it or I was excited to work with those people or the theme really excited me. And then there are some short comics that I've done for different publishers or different collaborations where I've actually gotten like a really weirdly high page rate, which I appreciate. I'm not saying I didn't deserve it, but I did wonder at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, there's no way, if I can ever get to the point where I make a graphic novel for that rate per page, I would just be set for life. But uh, that's not how it works. But it's tricky because I couldn't just stop doing graphic novels and only do short stuff because the short stuff kind of, I might get a few at once, but then nothing for six months. Um, so it's very, the graphic novels give stability and um, yeah, it's mostly stability, I guess. And it's just the bigger project and it gets, you get to tell a different kind of story. And, and this obviously that. varies depending on like what kind of outfit you're working with, but most Kickstarter anthologies, for instance, even if they pay really well, don't have the machinery to be, for instance, paying royalties. So like, mm. oh, we're going to pay you $200 a page or $500 a page or whatever it is. But then that's it. Like, you can reprint this as a thing. Like, you can do other things with this. But even if we sell a million copies of this book, like, this is the rate you're getting. We're not going to be tracking royalties for you. Whereas, like, you could get a graphic novel advance that's kind of low. Like, but if your graphic novel sells a million copies, you will 
that will translate into you getting paid more. So it's like a weird calculus of kind of immediate money right now versus potential future magic money that may or may not happen yeah. in the future. They're definitely very different types of investments. Like I'm not to a point with any of my bigger work where I've seen royalties yet, so I just forget about that part. And <laughs> someday maybe something cool will happen with that. I but. cannot <laughs> wait to cheer for you when your book earns out, which I'm confident it will. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, with the short comics, something that's interesting with them actually is they're a different kind of investment where I don't generally see more money for them, but it gives me, for example, I might work on a book, a graphic novel for two years, and then it takes another year for the publisher to get it on shelves. So that's three years where I wouldn't have anything to share with the internet, and I need to share things with the internet because I'm a millennial. <laughs> so... Like doing the short comics, I these days I have like just enough power as a person to be like, okay, I would like to do your anthology, but I'm only going to give you this many months of exclusive use of the comic, and it also maxes out at this date in case you are have delays in putting out the book or something. So then I know, okay, on that date, I have something I can share with the internet. <laughs> Here's a story I made. I'm still doing things. And that's actually been great, because once in a while, those are the stories that end up getting me a bunch of followers, and then those people follow my other work. And yeah, so it's a very different investment, and it's been worth it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk a little more about that? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how you think that kind of going between these two different forms and specific things that you've done in the two different forms has built your career. Like, have, have things that you do, you've found that, you know, your graphic novel editor is like, yes, I read your anthology, or, um, you know, the, the graphic novels are not getting you Twitter followers, but the nonfiction adult nib comics really are. Like, how do these things work differently to kind of make you like the fully rounded creator that you are? Tell us about your brand building, Sarah. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> this was the question you asked us to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, all right. If I'm gonna like, I know that no one asked me to give advice just now, but this is how I'm gonna frame it. Um, so some people who are fairly new to comics as an industry can jump into a big long project and knock it out of the park and get graphic novel deals and stuff and like, if you can do that, that's awesome, go for it. Um, but I would definitely say that starting with smaller projects and focusing on those for a long time really helped me. I grew as a professional. I got to know a lot of editors in different editing styles. And I also had time to really find, establish a style and then kind of not just establish the style, but I think something that's important with comics is you have to find a way to make that style sustainable for longer projects. So you might come up with something that's beautiful for 10 pages. Can you do that for 200 pages? And for me, the answer was no for a long time. Um, but then at a certain point, I started getting more emails from people who were like, oh, I saw your work in Smut Peddler. Would you like to do this other thing? And it kind of builds on itself for a while. And then eventually you have this portfolio of comics. So when you're ready to start talking to, say, like a trade book publisher's editor, 
you can be like, yes, I can demonstrate that I can make a story. I can write, I can draw, I can actually finish the thing. I have actually made like 300 pages worth of comics that you can look at and know that I can handle this huge thing that you're, that you're investing in with me. So that's definitely been very good. So Gina, I feel like, do we, do we want to leave time for Q&A at the end of this? You're making a horrible face at me. Indeed. <laughs> we have never done Q&A I know, before, right? just like we've never done a live episode before. Because I think, I think we can ask this uh, advice about transitioning, and then like maybe a person could ask a question yes. of our guest. So I think the last thing that I, I wanted to ask was the, your, Gina, your question of, uh, Sarah, if you have specific advice about transitioning back and forth between these two formats, either graphic novel people who think they want to do more short form stuff or short form people who want to start doing graphic novels. Like, do you have any kind of broadly speaking, uh, please do give us, it is explicitly solicited advice. Please <laughs> yes. give it. Okay. Yeah. So um, something I think I've kind of touched on a couple of these things, but I'll put them together into a hopefully fully formed thought. Uh, <laughs> If you're transitioning from long to short form, it can be, and I find I end up in this trap even when I'm just, for example, I've been working on one of my graphic novels for a while and someone asked me for a short comic. I, it can take a lot of effort to get back into the brain space of making something short. And really, like, I talked a bit about how you want to make sure you have something with a very clear beginning, middle, and end. And you want to make sure it actually has all of the elements of a story which can be really hard and like there's such thing as like conceptual comics where you don't need that but I don't personally make those kinds of comics so don't listen to my advice if you want to do those um, so you just want to make sure that you really just pare down the story as much as you possibly can so that you don't end up with too much going on and distractions and maybe someday you'll be able to work more themes and more characters into the pages that you have, but just really try to do a very limited idea justice in that space. Um, and yeah, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure to work on long things and stuff, but like, if you love working on short comics, then just kind of enjoy that. And I think eventually you'll be able to transition into longer stuff if that's like what you're made for. But I don't know. I think sometimes Twitter gets very intense with certain kinds of advice. And then everyone talks <laughs> about like you can only do this to be successful and I feel like I have to put a disclaimer at the end of every piece of advice I give just like but if the, this doesn't work for you that's fine just follow your dreams don't let me tell you not to do something if it will make you very happy yeah, so. some people just are better in short form I'm going to say a thing will make sense to maybe two people in this room you could be the Ted Chang of comics and that's fine <laughs> yes. maybe you'll have a big giant movie made out of your short comic yeah. things happen sometimes yes. or I mean to have a more Canadian comics example you could be the Emily Carroll of mm. comics there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean I do think right now it does seem like there's more of a market for graphic novels 
at major publishers than collections of short stories, but definitely there are people who have made it work to do short story collections. Like there's Girl Town, which is doing amazingly right now. Go read it if you have not read Girl Town. Um, But yeah, that's just an example of like, I know that she's done long form work too, but it's just, I don't know, if, if it's good, there is an audience for it, I how promise. To be happy. How, to, how to Be Happy, was that one by Eleanor Davis? That's yeah. also a really great collection. It's mm. good stuff. Yeah. All right, I think that's it for our questions. Does anybody in the audience have a question, and are you willing to come up to and talk into this microphone? Hello, so lovely to meet you. Um, I'm just really particularly curious about kind of like the intimate relationship between an editor and yourself in a long-term comic because it is kind of like a commitment right you're like we're going to be together for three years and we're going to make a baby together and (laughs) like is that like how how do you I guess like approach that because I've been in short comic anthologies where it's just like it's quick it's fast it's good we got what we want had a great time give your number after like text me (laughs) sort of deal like when you're in town, but then it's like when you're with like a long term, it's like, okay, let's sit down, let's talk about this, this is a commitment. Have you found like. Comics marriage, got it. Yeah, so just like what was your experience on that and like how did you approach that in a very like grounded way, if you did? Okay. Um, well, for example, uh, when I was pitching Sparks Around, which is uh, the people in the audience can see there is an image for it. I haven't actually described what it is, but... Uh, it's very good. Yeah, so... <laughs> thank you. Um, it's uh, like a historical romance thing. A couple women who are working in service in Edwardian England meet, and they fall in love, and then they're like, okay, we love each other but we are servants and this sucks. How do we make this work? Um, And when I was pitching it around, two publishers wanted it and offered at the same time, and they actually offered similar amounts of money, which was extra tricky. Um, And what ended up happening, it kind of felt like speed dating with two different editors where I just had to sit down and be like, okay, like, what would be your editorial approach for this book? Like, what? What do you want to do with it? How much do you want to influence it? Um, What kind of timeline do you envision for it? Stuff like that. And then uh, I was able to kind of suss out, okay, who do I want to be in this long relationship with? And it wasn't even necessarily like about who seems nicest or who is like cooler on Twitter. It was pretty much just like, okay, this person says they're up for helping with some research and I really need help with that. I'm smacking the table now like I was told not to. Sorry, (laughs) microphone. Um, (laughs) uh, And it, yeah, it really just came down to like, okay, I have these two options and both, honestly, I think the book would have been in great hands either way, but it's like, okay, who, who am I ready to yeah, parent this book with pretty much. And I've been lucky that uh, my editors on the other projects that I've worked on have been very invested in them and stuff. But it's definitely, if I end up in that situation again, I'd want to be careful about making sure that I talk to them and really get a sense of what they want for it and also how involved they'd want to be. And yeah. 
And, it, and also, this is definitely one of those things where sometimes people are afraid to talk about their upcoming book deal that isn't final, but like, there's an understanding in the industry that you will privately talk to other professional friends of yours, so if you have a, an editor approaching you, it is totally okay to ask friends of yours or people you know who have previously worked with that editor, like, hey, I have a book, I'm talking to this editor about keeping on the DL, but like, how did that go for you? Because it's just like if you wanted to date somebody, you might ask your friends, hey, do you know this guy or this person? Like, like, it's the same thing. That's completely normal. Never be afraid to reach out to your network to get advice about this kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm not too short for your microphone. No, you're <laughs> So uh, there was a section where you were talking about structure and you were talking about planning things out um, monthly, weekly, daily, and having things to check off. And, um, and you briefly mentioned having a buffer. But I was wondering how, um, when you have a schedule that's planned out that far and that concise, how you deal with the unexpected, like illness or um, you know, something happens in the family and you just lose a week. Um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Not well. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like, I feel like it's, it's unfortunately a very normal thing for cartoonists to really struggle with that aspect. And it's tough, too, because publishing, it's a strange industry because it can take many months for something to happen, but then all of a sudden you'll start working on a book and they need, for example, a cover draft in two hours. Maybe not two hours, but uh, it's just... It can be very, very strange. So I definitely, I have a bit of like anxiety in general, just as a person about like schedules changing and all of that. So I pretty much, I can, I'm probably one of the more annoying people for my editors to deal with because I communicate everything every step of the way. If I get anxious about a schedule thing, I will send them like an epic about it. Like, okay, I think I might, like for example, I have like a wrist thing going on. Like, I think I might need to have a small surgical procedure done sometime in the next year. But this year I'm working on this book with you. How do we deal with this? And then a more, uh, a better at life person can be like, okay, this is how we will manage this. And that kind of, that's probably my best approach, just talk about things with people as much as I need to. I was gonna say Gina, yeah. I mean, do you feel those are like positive conversations? Like I feel like sometimes people I talk to feel like cartoonists are kind of like the um, stereotypical like schoolmasters who kind of come in and like hit people with uh, like rulers and things like that if their, their assignments are not on time. Um, I don't know if that, that is your experience with editors or if you find them to be more um, calm and less equipped with rulers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I was more afraid to do that to start, but I mean, I've learned that really they, they just want the book to turn out as well as it possibly can. And uh, there are definitely publishers where I'm sure they have stricter schedules, but I've been really lucky that every time I've been like, okay, I'm panicking about this thing, the editor's been like, okay, here are some ways that we can manage this situation so that you don't have to break your arm trying to draw 10 pages a day or something. And Please it's, don't. 
Yeah, it's it's been really good actually in that respect. Just I think that it really comes down to you just have to talk preferably as early as possible about a potential problem that you see coming up, which I think is why I've gotten into the habit of just if I see a maybe problem, I communicate it so that later down the line, if it becomes a problem, we already have a plan. Like, okay, this is how we will manage this situation. And also, like, I mean, editors understand you have a life and just tell them, like, in my calendar, I have, like, my, I also do freelance editing. I have some of my author's vacations and stuff in my calendar <laughs> so that I know that they're just going to be out of town. So, for instance, like an, I, we had a thing where I was going to be in Alaska in the woods with no internet, and then the person I was working with had a wedding to go to, so we actually ended up arranging, delivering stuff based on both of our schedules. Like, people have lives, and they understand it. But as long as you warn them ahead of time, you can be like, hey, so maybe get your thumbnails to me before this date because I'm going to be backpacking across you know Europe or something like or vice versa like or notes or whatever just warn people so that they don't send it one day after you leave for your backpacking trip yeah like actually a good example of that is when I was negotiating for my doing the schedule for my new book I knew right away I'm like I am going to go to TCAF next year and I would like to see my family because I am from the northeast of the U.S., but I've been living in Perth, and I'm like, I was just up front with the editor, and I was like, you know what, I usually bring work on vacations, but I haven't seen my family in three years, and I'm going to be jet-lagged the whole time, and I just don't think you'll be able to handle it, and she was like, all right, we will work with that, it's okay, and that was great. Any other questions? Uh, scarf person? <laughs> great scarf, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Could you tell me exactly um, what your pitch would, uh, would look like to a publisher? Because I think it's probably different from when you're pitching short form, when you're pitching a long form thing. Like, actually, what did it consist of? Okay. Um, my last one, actually, all right. Yeah, so I have a kind of format that I've settled on, and I don't, I don't actually know if this is the preferred, preferred format. I'm not even sure there is a general, is there a standard format? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think like you can fudge it if it doesn't work for you, but uh, I pretty much have the elevator pitch right up front with a bit of sample art generally, and then from there I do a longer, uh, synopsis where I cover like okay this is the number of pages this is do I envision it in color or in black and white um, what audience is this for just kind of like the really basic like specs like these are the technical specifications of this child that I would like to produce with you um, and then uh, from there I do a slightly longer uh, synopsis that makes sure that it has the clear beginning, middle, and end with the most important events and emotional notes and characters all kind of in there. But I do try to keep it within like a page length. Um, and I might have character, just like a couple sentences about the main characters, um, maybe something, a, a paragraph about the setting if it's an interesting part of the story. And then I'm not sure if this is the best idea, but you know that really long rambly outline that I talked about? I usually have written most of one by the time I'm pitching, 
So uh, I'm trying to remember how long it was on the last one that I made, but like we're talking like 10 plus pages sometimes. But I'm like, you know what? They got to know what they're getting themselves into. And it's worked. So like, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's my approach. And then you also usually have sample pages in there too, right? Maybe not anymore. I haven't actually had to do much of that. I think I'm really lucky because I actually for my most recent one they did ask I think mostly because it's a different genre than I usually work in. I'm currently pitching fantasy stuff which is like way different from my other things. Um, So I think they just wanted to see that I could actually set that kind of atmosphere. Um, but even then, I was able to just turn in, like, they were just sketched pages. I didn't have to finish them. This is really worth noting. Like, this, I think when Gina said there's no standard, there's a lot of reasons for that. And part of it is super depends on where you are in your career. Because if you've drawn five graphic novels, what people need to see to prove that you know what you're doing is very different than if you just graduated from SVA last week. So it's kind of like... It super depends on where you are in your career and how much what your existing body of work is and how different this is. That yeah, anyway. So, but so for the rest of that question, if you have like a Kickstarter anthology that you really want to be in, or if you're pitching a comic to a nib to the nib, like probably there's not a ten-page outline involved there. Like, what are you sending those people? Um, I usually just try to send them like the short synopsis that like the. I try to keep it to a paragraph or so. And I also, I've gotten to a point where I don't do sample art in general for free anymore for most things, which I think I might miss out eventually on something because I've refused to do that. But so far, I don't feel like I have. So like, if it's a Kickstarter anthology that's like, okay, like send us your pitch. And also we want to see like a like this number of completed pages of this thing, I usually just don't do it, or I am a terrible person. Everyone who runs a Kickstarter anthology is gonna hate me for this, but sometimes I just send like finished pages from a project that has a very similar setting and feel and types of characters, and I'm just like, you don't have to hire me, it's okay if you don't want to, but here's what I can do and it would look like this. And that's what short stories are good for, because then you have like this whole portfolio you can pull from. But don't make editors mad with Kickstarter anthologies. They don't appreciate it. Okay. Well, so that's how much time we have today at Word Balloon Academy. So thank you all for coming. Thank you for being part of our first ever Graphic Novel TK live episode. Um, If you want to learn more about Sarah, you can check her out. Um, Her... uh, online handles and her website are up on the screen um, graphic novelty K if you would like to uh, listen to more extremely long discussions of how the industry works uh, the graphic novelty K website social media is up there too so thank you all So when we recorded this, we all completely forgot that you, our beloved listeners at home, would not be able to see the graphic that we had on stage. So if you want to find out more about Sarah's work online, you can go to her website, swinsea.com. That's S-W-I-N-S-E-A dot com. You can also find her as Swinsea on Twitter. (laughs) 
Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at GraphicNovelTK or email us at GraphicNovelTK at gmail.com. Thank you.